Welcome to the Archives of The Laura Lee Show, conversation for exploration, timeless discussions to challenge and expand our worldview. And while you may find our guests fascinating, the views expressed may not necessarily reflect those of our own or of the Kuimange Institute. That's why we call it Conversation for Exploration. And join in our ongoing live events, interviews, our own presentations, and much, much more as we go exploring. Learn more at kuiamungainstitute.com and lauralee.com. Welcome to Conversation for Exploration. Hi, I'm your host, Laura Lee. We will be talking with John DeSalvo, whose website at GizaPyramid.com looks at the extensive research of a number of pyramid researchers. He'll be telling us this hour about the work of some Russian scientists into the bioelectric effects of pyramid research, as well as an astronomical connection to pyramids. John joins us. John, where are you from? Originally from actually New York, and I'm currently living in Minnesota. Well, welcome. Oh, thank you, Laura. Laura Lee, it's a real pleasure to be on your program. Thank you for having me on. You've got a really impressive uh, website, and I see the research posted there of a number of guests that we've had on the show, John West and Stephen Mailer and Chris Dunn and others. Um, tell us about your organization. Sure. Um, well, basically about a, a year and a half ago, I started the Great Pyramid of Giza Research Association um, with the website, with two goals in mind. One was to um, make available to the public general information and new research on the Great Pyramid. But I think most important was to post the work of pyramid researchers that may not have the opportunity to publish their work in a traditional academic journals. Um, you know, as you know, Laura Lee, unless you're part of a major university or institution, you really have little chance of, of getting your research published in the traditional academic journals. So that was uh, the two major goals, and it just um, really took off. We um, we currently have over 100 articles on our site, um, you know, both general information and research. Um, we have an international advisory board of, of 20 prominent researchers from all over the world, and our, our general membership's over 3,000. So, um, you know, I, I, it seems like we're fulfilling the goals of uh, providing information and um, and publishing new work, and we're... Our future goals are planning an expedition to Giza to, you know, carry out additional research and um, maybe having an international um, pyramid symposium this year. So we're going to see what happens, but it's uh, we're, we're really growing and we're recruiting all kinds of researchers, and it's, it's been real exciting. What is your personal passion about pyramids about? Where did that stem from? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> well, because, uh, you know, my background's in biophysics, and Many people think I'm an Egyptologist, but I'm not. And um, I guess about 10 years ago, I just started reading um, books on, on, on the Great Pyramid and pyramids in general. And the, um, you know, I'm always interested in the mystery. I've been involved in so many different things throughout the years. And it just seems that the, the uh, traditional approach to the Great Pyramid, the way they interpreted it as a tomb and uh, built in the fourth dynasty. None of the data really fit. There was just too many anomalies. And, and the more I read, the more I was dissatisfied. So that's when I got into the alternative literature and listening to uh, programs by alternative researchers um, uh, like John Anthony West, who actually is one of our 
our board members, and I know I've been on your program, um, and, and other researchers. And I thought, you know, I, I would, I've been in, in the Some of these alternative explanations make a whole lot more sense than the traditional ones, don't they? No question about it, yeah. Yep. And, um, and so that's where I felt there was a need, a forum or some place where these traditional researchers can get their work out to the public with, without any cost either and, and make it easy for them. Because, you know, unless you can publish your own book, you, you know, you have little chance, again, as I mentioned, of, of getting your work in any of these journals. Um, the idea that pyramids held special powers and some of the initial research that was done long ago with the razor blades staying sharp in pyramids and oranges and fruit um, not decaying in pyramids and such. The Russians have, I understand, through what's posted on your website, have really taken this to some new lengths and come up with some very interesting results. Tell us about the work of Vladimir Krasnoholovitz. Sure. No, you're really right, because I, I remember that. You know, in the 60s and the 70s, um, the whole thing of pyramid power. In, fla- in fact, the, um, the first book ever written on pyramid power by uh, Patrick Flanagan, he's you know, one of our board members. And, and I don't think, again, a lot of scientists took it seriously at that time. But where I think the, the breakthrough is, was with, as you mentioned, with this, um, the Russian and Ukrainian research. And, and maybe just to tell you briefly how kind of I got involved in it, because it's kind of... Oh, please do. Yeah, kind of real interesting. Um, uh, in January this year, um, I was contacted contacted by Dr. Vladimir Krasnoholovitz, and uh, again, we call him Dr. K, makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> All right. And um, he, he told me he was from the Institute of Physics. He was the senior scientist of the in- Institute of Physics in the Ukraine. And uh, the Institute of, of, of Physics, by the way, was the premier military research institute of the former Soviet Union. These were the guys that designed the Mir space station, the cruise missiles, the uh, you know, so these really were top-notch scientists, and he told me that him and his colleagues and, and other research institutes like the National Academy of Sciences for the last 10 years were carrying out scientific experiments in, in large pyramids built in, in Russia and Ukraine. And I tell you, I never heard of that. And he, he found me through my website, and um, he basically asked me if I'd be willing to, to, to post their work and, and try to get their information out to the West and, and to the world, because again, he, they had uh, the same kind of problem getting the uh, traditional academic world to uh, in the West to look at their research. So I said, "Oh, great!" I mean, that was the whole purpose of our, you know, association. That was really exciting to say, "My God, uh, that's what our whole purpose is." So he um, we, he sent me his article, and we we posted it on the website, and. Um, I know uh, uh, Chris Dunn and Stephen Mailer, my, my research directors, and I know they've both been on your program many times, and myself were started doing quite a few um, um, you know, radio uh, interviews to, to expose their work to the world and post their work on our websites. And um, then <laughs> several months later, uh, oh, by the way, I should mention that the, you know, these pyramids aren't <laughs> the little pyramids you find you know, uh, in, in your living room. These pyramids are gigantic structures, the largest that was built it was 144 feet high, made of fiberglass, weighing over 55 tons, and it actually cost over a million dollars to build. They have built 17 of these in the last 10 years. Just so, a quick question. Some of them look like the traditional pyramid shape, a la the Great Pyramids. Others, and from the photos that you've posted on the side of these experimental pyramids in, in what, near Moscow, others look quite pointy, a different shape. Um, and I suppose you'll be telling us about the different effects of the different shapes of the pyramids. Many way to angle a pyramid. Right? Sure. 
Okay. That, that's a good question. That's the, and and you, you, you identified it right away. The major difference between the traditional pyramids we see in Egypt and the Russian pyramids is the angle. The angle in the, in the Russian pyramids, and, and again, we have uh, many of these pictures on our websites for your listeners to go to, but it, it's a much steeper angle. Um, it's actually probably around 70 to 75 degrees where the Giza pyramids are, are 51 degrees. 51. They're, they're not as steep, not as acute. And, and it's interesting because... Um, the reason that angle was chosen was just experimental, a trial and error, that this was the best angle for the effects of these pyramids to work. So and they did some preliminary lab research um, with yeah, miniature yeah. models it, first before they chose that particular angle, the steeper that, one? That is part of it. And also, okay. I'm told by the, uh, the, the, the pyramid builders, oh, i got to mention how I met, met them also. Um, it was, some of it was based on some mathematical analysis, uh, like the golden section and, and other mathematical constants. But the, the bottom line was pretty much trial and error, like as you mentioned, with you know, model pyramids and, and, and calculating the results. But, um, so after you know, I, we, we had this information posted several months later, um, I get a, um, a, 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 an email to get contacted by um, Alexander Golod and his son Anatoly. And Alexander Golod is... Um, a scientist and uh, director of a Russian state defense enterprise, a very important man in Moscow, and he was the one who financed and sponsored these pyramids back in 1992. And what, what turned out to be um, uh, that after that meeting, we became very, very close, and um, I've been working with Anatoly and Alexander in terms of trying to promote additional research and encourage others to kind of repeat the experiments, peer review, and and so we've been working again very closely together. Anatoly and I have done, um, you know, pyramid tours um, on the internet. You know, he was live from Moscow, and again, um, now I, I never thought I'd be working with both the pyramid builders and the researchers that did most of the work. But it's, it's really wonderful because you can put all that together. You know, you can work together as a group. What sort of results have they found from the experiments? How did they set them up? What were they testing for? And what kind of results have they found so far? Well, um, they were actually in many, many different areas, which is interesting. And um, from, you know, medicine to agriculture to um, uh, uh, physics. And some of the medical results are, I, I think, are quite phenomenal. Um, a lot of the results, Laura Lee, or a lot of the experiments were, were done using um, Rabbits and rats, you know, perfect uh, laboratory animal, I guess, and um, and they were compared to control groups. So they, you know, they did the um, the science uh, uh, very very properly. But it turned out when they measured, uh, they looked at the immune system of rabbits and rats, and it turns out when the rabbits and rats were exposed or placed in the pyramid, um, their leukocyte composition of the blood increased, meaning um, these animals now would be healthier and able to resist infections better. Hmm. Also, um, uh, damaged tissues, it, it, it caused uh, re increased regeneration of tissues, more so than, you know, the sample group that was not placed in the pyramid. And these, these the results were pretty significant. Even uh, water not freezing. Tell us about that. That's, you know, that's pretty interesting. I got a, actually a videotape of that from, from, from Moscow. And you could, if you have a bottle of water in the pyramid and the temperature goes down to 40 below, it still doesn't freeze. And actually, water kept in their pyramids for 
um, a year or so, the water still retains its fresh properties. And it's really interesting because if you have this bottle, I mean, you could actually see this on the video. You're holding this bottle of water. It's 40 below zero. It doesn't freeze. And you just, like, tap it. It just, like a fracture, the whole thing starts freezing. Really interesting. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's just incredible. You know, me being a biophysicist and looking at this and think, thinking, there's really something phenomenal going on. Um, they also did some uh, uh, agricultural seeds. Now, you talk about uh, uh, help for starving nations. Agricultural seeds placed in these pyramids showed a 30% increase in yield, some even higher than that. Um, they, they built a pyramid complex in an oil field in southern Russia, and when they, um, when they tested the oil, it became lighter, and the yield of the oil wells it increased pretty significantly. And um, I always say as a scientist, you know, it, it's important to have a, an independent confirmation of the results. And the Moscow Academy of Oil and Gas actually confirmed the results and showed that, that these changes did take place. Um, in the case of seeds, I can see where you put containers of seeds into the pyramid for a certain time and then go out and grow them and they yield bumper crops. How did they do this with the oil? What were they oh, actually the, doing? Well, very good question. The, basically, the, there was a group of pyramids built right like near in the oil field. Okay. So the theory was that the um, energy field, and you know, later maybe we, can, we can talk about what that what the speculation of that is, because we really don't know what it is for sure, but we, we have some But you also have... tell us about some really exciting and innovative research with some high-tech equipment looking at a field around a pyramid. We'll get to that. Yeah, and um, um, the thing is, supposedly, the, just the pyramids built in and near that oil field influenced the oil, so that was phenomenal. But um, Now, this is interesting. I got a picture of this on my website. Um, Russian military locator, uh, that they call it, uh, it's radar for us, they call their radar locator, but the military locator um, picked up some kind of large energy column rising several miles high, high above the pyramid, over the 22-meter, one of the 22-meter pyramids. And, and I got a picture of this on my website, both a picture of the radar and the ion column, and um, they didn't know what the heck it was. <laughs> and... Um, it was interesting because they uh, calculated what kind of energy field would have produced that, that column. And it's just, uh, oh, I think they figured it could be almost every powerhouse in, uh, in, in Russia put together would, would, would equal to the power of that column above the pyramids. And what was interesting is that there was a, a, a large hole in the ozone layer in that part of Russia. And within two or three months after the, this 22-meter pyramid was built, the ozone level repaired itself. So, you know, we don't have a direct proof that this was caused by it. It's just kind of circumstantial evidence. But the, uh, but the Golods feel that this energy column was responsible in um, repairing the ozone layer. And again, if this turns out to be true, uh, this, this obviously has an incredible benefits for ecology. What sort of energy field might it have been in order to show up on a radar screen or locator, as the Russians call it? You know, that's, I, actually, I have one of my engineers working on it because they have claimed it was it's like an ion column, ionized, you know, energy. But um, according to a military radar expert, radar wouldn't pick this up. But we definitely have pictures of this column from the Russian radar. So they're picking something up. And at this point, I need the frequency of the radar. And our, our elect, an electrical engineer, supposedly, who's a radar expert, 
is going to try to make some, some guesses what kind of energy this is. So that's a, that's a really good question because if we can get some um, information on quantifying what this energy field is, it's going to bring us a step closer to identifying what the pyramid energy is. So, yeah, excellent, excellent question. Has anybody brought out any other sort of equipment to this oil field with the pyramids and done some other tests? Well, mostly uh, the major institutions that were, were involved was um, the Russian Academy of Sciences and the Russian Academy of Medical Sciences. The, the Institute of Physics and Institute of Biophysics in Russia also carried out experiments with, with superconductivity and electrical work, you know, electrical, electromagnetical experiments. And um, again, in each case, they've got some real interesting results. But um, one of our purposes is to really get this work out to the public and other researchers so it can be repeated and other experiments uh, done. You know, peer review and repeatability is important because, you know, I guess I should make it clear, you know, our association we don't endorse or sponsor any one research theory. We're just here as a means to help research, researchers get their work out. But, but obviously, I'm really interested in this because I, I keep saying if um, one hundredth of what they say turns out to be true, we have in, incredible benefits for mankind. Um, I saw a picture on your website also of a house. It looked like very hand-built, a pyramid shape with um, kind of an, an opening. Um, so is there someone building a house oh, with a pyramid okay, shape to live in, and what would the effect of that be? One, okay, yeah, I imagine. think I know which picture you're referring to. That, that's a really interesting one because that actually was a, a wine cellar. Oh, that's a wine cellar. Yeah, okay. I think that's the one you're referring to. It, um, it was built at the turn of the century. It um, and it's uh, actually it was Earl Olav was the person who built it. it. It looks like almost an igloo in the front of it. It does, yeah, an igloo. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and in fact, when when uh, the Gala sent me that picture for our pyramid tour, I was thinking, what the heck is this structure? Well, what was interesting is that the um, again the Gala's claim wine placed in the structure, and again this was way before the Russian research uh, caused the wine to taste better and. And, and be much better. Interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, Chris, uh, Bob Monroe, when we talked with him before you passed away, he was saying and attributing a lot of his initial out-of-body experiences to living in a house that had a 51-degree uh, pyramid made of copper as a section of the roof. And so his uh, bedroom was right under that that the peak of that uh, roof. And he contributes his out-of-body experiences to that particular roof, well, pyramidal roof. Yeah. Because there have been, you know, many, many people who have spent time in the, um, in the king's chamber that have claimed, uh, I, in fact, uh, several of my, I, you know, I, I never experienced that, but several of my friends who have spent time in the king's chamber have claimed to have an out-of-body experience. And I, and, and I, I believe them because I, these people are very credible and they're scientists. And um, so uh, it also, and this is an interesting thing, you brought that up too, there's... Uh, uh, there's some correlation of radioactivity levels and, and out-of-body experience. And it does seem that in the pyramid, the radioactivity levels that some of our researchers men measured were above the, um, the background, higher than normal background radioactive levels. So uh, really interesting correlation between scientific phenomena and, and some of the paranormal effects that we, that we observe. 
You know, have you ever heard of Napoleon's stay in the king's chamber? Yes, I have, and he wrote about it, and something very cryptic went on. Yeah, so nobody knows what happened, but it obviously um, made a big effect on him. So you kind of wonder, you know, when you mentioned, like, out-of-body experiences or paranormal experiences. That, um, and, and most of our researchers, by the way, Laura Lee, think it is because, as you said, of the angle. That angle is the key of causing these effects, that 51-degree angle or the larger angle. Now, don't forget the um, Russian pyramids are built out of fiberglass, and they're empty, where the Giza pyramids are made out of limestone. And, and I tell we've had hours and hours of discussions within our research group and with the Russian researchers as why the difference in angle, as you observed, the materials. Uh, nobody has an answer yet, you know, why you get, say, the, the pyramid effects at the different angles, the Giza and the Russian angle. So that's another area, you know, we have many of our researchers looking at. And the Russian angle is, what did you say, 77 degrees? Well, you know, we don't, I, I don't know exactly. I measured it. It depends on the pyramids. It's between 70 and 75 degrees from the uh -huh. horizontal. Uh -huh. And the Giza is around 51 degrees. What sort of theories have you heard just um, offered as to explain the angle and the materials and why, why the difference? I mean, explain the, the differences the, the, that the angles and the materials make. I mean, sitting around, I've heard lots of different interesting theories. Oh, what sure. have you well, heard? One is, um, and, and this is the kind of the theory that I'm favoring, is because it, there's, got, there's got to be some kind of resonance. You know, um, uh, as people know, you, the soldiers march across the bridge and they march in step, the bridge starts to vibrate, and, and every object has its own resonant frequency. I think it's a combination of, of the materials, the angle, and uh, other types of substances in the pyramids, that the Giza pyramid is made of limestone. Most of it is solid. You know, they're the passages in the chambers, but most of it appears to be solid limestone. Now we look at the uh, Russian pyramids. They are at, a, at more of an acute angle. They're empty. In fact, that's an important factor for them to work. They have to be empty and no metal at all involved in the building. So I think it's, it's a materials thing related to resonating a certain kind of of atomic particle or energy that is actually causing the, these effects. You know, we, I mean, and, and we'll talk about this whenever you'd like, but I think there's some scientific basis for this. And I, I've coined the term that we're, we're moving from pyramid power to pyramid science because we're actually starting to measure some of these, these things. And, uh, you know, again, we don't have the answer. I, I, you know, I'd be fooling you if I said, well, we know what, what this field is, what this force is, but, but, we're, but we're moving in that direction. I don't think the point right now is to find answers so much as to find the right questions to ask and start accumulating the data to see what patterns emerge. Um, you mentioned no metal, although there was a metal iron plate and some copper found in the Great Pyramid, but just very tiny amounts of it, and that the Russian pyramids were empty, and that was a factor for it working. Right. Um, have they built solid pyramids as opposed to an empty pyramid? How do we know the emptiness is a key for the Russian um, mainly from the trial and error that we, we talked about in terms of the angle, that it, it appeared with uh, the, the models and the tests that the pyramid had to be empty, and if any metal was introduced, it would affect the, uh, uh, you know, the energy of the pyramids. Interesting. So there seems to be some sort of field that the shape of the pyramid and perhaps the materials of the pyramid generates, which would make sense because we, we know from the work of other folks about like the work of Hansianian cymatics, for example, that um, shape and form have a lot to do with frequency. 
So tell us about the research uh, researcher who's using the gamma ray inducer or whatever to uh, look at a field. The energy field itself? You're right. Um, yeah, again, you know, to me that's kind of the bottom line of this, maybe because I, I'm looking at, looking at it as a scientist. I mean, I, I agree these results are happening. I mean, because there's too many independent research organizations that are confirming it. So the next question is, as, as you asked, is, uh, what is it? What is this field? And, and we don't know the answer for sure, but, there, again, there's some, some speculation. And one of them is, is that, you know, the Ukrainian researchers yeah. in, um, um, at the Institute of Physics, and, and Dr. K especially. And, and I, this is kind of pretty interesting. I was told by one of the um, uh, pyramid scientists involved in this research that when they were building these the pyramids, you know, in Russia, the large pyramids. That some of the builders who were working kind of at the top of the pyramid lost consciousness and had to bring them to the bottom and move them away from the pyramid. Oh. And, yeah, and and there appears to be a device um, which the uh, one of the scientists at the Institute of Physics in Ukraine developed, um, and he claims to be able to measure this pyramid power. He's one of the one of the physicists, and um, unfortunately, he, he he used this device many years ago with the Gallads, and, and they didn't really think it was working. But now Dr. K claims that he has developed an enhanced version of this device hmm. that can, can measure this energy flow. Okay. And um, he, what, what he speculates is that it's, it's a new type of, of physical field. You know, like we have, we have gravity and electromagnetism. Um, this would be a new kind of field which he calls an inerton field, I-N-E-R-T-O-N, is the term he coined. And it would be, again, uh, this would really completely revise Einstein's equations in the unified field theory because we're talking about something else uh, besides uh, gravity and electromagnetism, and we have a new, a new field we're looking at. And he claims he can measure this field with this enhanced measuring device and actually has plotted energy fields in the pyramid. And he's actually sent me that information. I've been kind of uh, working with it. And, um, and, but I think what's the most important thing is I've been trying to get a version of that device and, and, and you know, the blueprints and how it works and try to have these experiments repeated in Russia and do them in different zones of where we can measure this field and see if you can get a correlation between the results and the intensity of the field. So that's about as close as, as we really can say at this point that there, there, there's, uh, it could be a new kind of, of uh, physical field that we're just about beginning to detect. And the pyramid would act as a resonator. You know, it would capture this um, field and intensify it and then cause these effects to occur. When we come back, John, let's talk about what this machine, how it works, what it operates on, how it's detecting this field, and also some of the ancient mm, wordsmithing that uh, Stephen Mailer has done looking at the origin of the word pyramid in ancient Egyptian, as close as we can get, looks at generating, transforming, and transmitting energy. Um, as you point out on your website, GizaPyramid.com, we'll continue our conversation with John DeSalvo. I'm Laura Lee. Laura Lee Online, www.lauralee.com. <laughs> 
Laura Lee here on The Laura Lee Show. Let's get back to our conversation with John DeSalvo of GizaPyramid.com. By the way, I want to mention anyone wanting to seek the uh, further into the work of Hans Yeni and Cymatics and looking at an extraordinary demonstration of the relationship of resonance, sound, and form. And John, what was this machine that demonstrates this inner ton field? How well, is it? Yeah, um, that's the big mystery because the, the first uh, Ukrainian researcher who developed it, I mentioned years ago, um, we don't know what that, that is. He has not given us the, the working model or the blueprints, but as I mentioned, Dr. Vladimir Krasnoholovitz, Dr. K, has developed an enhanced version, and I'm kind of, as I mentioned, in the process of getting that information and hoping to have one built for the association's use so we can, we can go ahead and, and measure it. But, you know, to, to follow up on your question, too, in terms of, of this force, the interton field theory is just one theory. There's a, a, a new theory out, another one of our team members that kind of is, is almost, is even more incredible, but even has just a, just has a potential. Oh, let's hear about it. Yeah, this is um, uh, uh, Joe Parr, um, who is an um, electrical engineer and electronics expert. I just got to tell you a little bit about this guy's credentials, because when I tell you what he discovered, you're going to say this sounds more like science fiction than fiction and probably would write it off. But this guy has over 40 years' experience in, in electronics, electrical engineering. He's been a field engineer overseas. He has a law degree. He's a lawyer. He worked on research projects in Greenland, the South Pole. He's, an invent- he's the inventor of the gamma ray transducer. And this guy's no dummy, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I wanted to mention that because um, what he has done is he has done some incredible experiments with rotating pyramids, electromagnetic sources, and radioactive sources. And here's the thing. Remember you mentioned the shape of the pyramid is what really is producing this effect. Well, his studies show that because of the shape of the pyramid, it traps a theoretical particle known as a mass particle. And, and it's hard to get in. Those are kind of theoretical particles that aren't subject to quantum laws. It's kind of a mystery about how they operate. But, but his theory is that because of the shape of the pyramid, it traps these particles. And then, in order to protect these particles, uh, the physics of it, the quantum physics of a bubble or orb or energy field, whatever you want to call it, um, forms around the pyramids. Well, maybe we'll just call it a a bubble for now, but but a bubble will feel and envelop the pyramid because of its shape, and because of its shape, it captures this particle. Now, here's what's interesting. He has shown, and he's measured all this scientifically, that this energy field, this bubble, can be strengthened or weakened depending on the kind of energy that you feed it. And he has put inside this bubble radioactive sources, radio transmitters, electromagnetic fields, and measured how they pass through it or not. And he has shown that this orb, this energy field, can be intensified and, and, it, and can become opaque and block off completely of radioactivity and radio sources. And, and so, you know, you put the source inside his apparatus, you rotate the pyramid, stimulate its field, and he can show that there is a, some kind of energy field that's, that's blocking um, these energy fields. In fact, he, he concludes that it blocks off all known energy fields, gravity, electromagnetic, and radioactivity. He got one of the most sensitive scales available and has shown that the pyramid inside this orb, when the orb closes off, the 
pyramid actually loses weight, and he claims can become weightless. So it has an anti-gravity effect of some sort. Exactly. Just to me, it's the first time scientifically anybody has been able to measure the effect of a pyramid power, a pyramid field. And um, now here's, you know, like I said, it gets even better. Um, so he's saying that um, he can stimulate this um, energy field. And what happens, he, he's done this research, by the way, for the last 20 years. And he spent probably, oh, thousands and thousands of dollars in research. But at certain times of the year, it turns out that this bubble completely closes off and the pyramid just gets ripped off his apparatus, like it's going to take off somewhere. And he, he, he had to be careful. He could have been killed with that because this thing really flies. Became other a projectile? It, yeah, it's, other time it self-destructs. But he found out that there was a correlation between December 13th and the 16th when this happened. Oh, that's coming up. Yeah, at this time of year was when the Earth passes between some kind of energy conduit between the sun and the belt of Orion. He's not sure what this conduit is. He thinks um, it could be um, neutrinos or ion particles, and he's in the process of measuring it. But the sun gives off this energy, these neutrinos, the solar flares, or ion particles, and there is a conduit that he claims goes between the sun and Orion. So when the Earth is you know, rotating, moving around the sun and passes through this conduit belt exactly at that time when his apparatus hits this iron conduit, that's when the bubble completely closes off, things inside lose weight, radioactivity doesn't escape, and it, like he believes it enters hyperspace or fourth dimension because it can actually move through material objects. Uh, you know, hyperspace is nothing complicated for your listeners. You know, we live in a three-dimensional spatial world, right? Every length, height, and width, we can define an object by XYZ coordinates. Uh, hyperspace would be just like a fourth dimension, another spatial dimension perpendicular to those three. So if the pyramid can move into that fourth dimension, it can move to, through physical objects and maybe travel through um, uh, and, and other parts of the galaxy almost instantaneously, depending how space is, is, is curved. Now, Joe, again, is, is more of a scientist who's not willing to speculate so much, but there's another researcher that uh, has been working with him, Dan Davidson, who's a, a physicist, and he really believes that um, this conduit was used as some kind of maybe communication or transportation device between some beings or extraterrestrials on Orion who, who visited the Earth, or it's just a natural kind of conduit beam that uh, that we could take advantage of. Again, you know, we don't have any evidence that it was aliens, but uh, the circumstantial evidence is, is very interesting. So, I mean, <laughs> and um, they actually tried to repeat this at Giza and pulse the message through to Orion through the conduit belt. Did, did you want to hear about that? Sure. <laughs> this, this is why it's so interesting. Um, uh, Joe Parin and, and um, Dan Davidson went back to Giza in 97, bringing... Um, um, Oh, I, I should say, Joe figured out through his experimentations. He works for large engineering firms and has access to big computers. He calculated the resonant frequency of the Great Pyramid. The sound resonant frequency was 51 cycles per second. Isn't it interesting? That's the angle of the pyramid. <laughs> and if you stimulated his experimental apparatus or any pyramid with that sound frequency, it energizes 
the orb. So they took to um, Giza, uh, experiment, uh, they took a, signal, uh, a special signal generator, an audio amplifier, and they were going to basically turn the Great Pyramid's force field on and off. And they could do it in a certain way that they could actually pulse the value of, of pi, the universal constant, um, you know, um, which is the ratio of a circle circumference to its diameter, you know, a universal constant. So we felt that And there pi's was, found all through the Great Pyramid and a lot of other ancient right. structures. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and so they, they, set, they, they couldn't get into the Great Pyramid at that time, so they did it around uh, Kefron's Pyramid, you know, the next largest one. Mm-hmm. And they had it all set up, and they started pulsing, pulsing the values. And when they, when they went back, the, all the equipment was stolen. <laughs> I'd be like that for luck. Oh. Um, okay, a couple of questions. Sure. It's all very interesting. Um, first of all, the belt stars of Orion. Are you talking about the belt stars when you say the belt of Orion? Yeah, that's what Dan says. I, I don't think they can narrow it down that close. I was just going to say, how do you do that? Yeah. you know, It's so far away. You no, know, I think because of some of the other work that, remember, lined up the three pyramids with the three belt stars. But it's easy to attach to the belt stars of Orion because the three pyramids, according to Robert Bavall, are supposed to be right. placed yeah. on the I, desert, I think, similar I think the to best that. You can okay. say is, is, is the iron conduit goes towards Orion. I think that's about the best you're going to say at this point. Okay, and what about the spinning aspect of the pyramids? Tell me about that. You mentioned spinning with the gamma ray inducer. Oh, had yeah. To spin. You see, uh, uh, any pyramid that is built at that angle is going to normally have a bubble around it, but it may not be very energized. So there's not much you're going to notice. Um, it could it could become more energized with solar flares and other um, um, terrestrial phenomena. But if you want to stimulate that energy bubble to close off, so we can study it, you know, like could it, does the radioactivity penetrate it? Joe found out experimentally that if you rotate the apparatus in the centrifuge through electromagnetic sources, so you give it like an alternating electromagnetic field. That energizes the bubble. So it's basically just a way to, to stimulate the energy bubble and, and not have to wait for certain solar flares to cause it to happen. So it's not artificially spun. It's somehow the spin is happening during the solar flares? or Yeah. No, well, no basically, okay. um, the, the Giza pyramid would be energized and uh, any other kind of pyramids if a solar flare activity would give off Joe feels a large quantity of neutrino particles and also okay, but the ions, spinning. Yeah. I thought they were doing with models in a laboratory in yeah, order it, to exactly. measure you the know, gamma ray inducer. It. Uh-huh. It's models to kind of simulate what would happen in real life when we don't have the situations to cause it to happen. Uh-huh. Because um, in terms of the anti-grav effect, there was some really exciting research a couple of years ago with spinning ceramic discs um, in some sort of energy beam. That that caused it, and here you're spinning something again. And of course, um, oh gosh, the radio bookstore sells a little flashlight that is uh, based on uh, oh I forget whose work, and it's rotating discs that generate the electricity. So the spin must be an interesting factor to put into this. Is my point? Yeah, exactly. And 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 essentially, you know, a lot of like the interton field. By the way, it's interesting you mentioned the spinning. Uh, uh, Dr. K believes it's caused through the rotation of the Earth and causing friction in the atmosphere, and and so the the spinning effect is essential 
in, in the Earth's rotation for the oh. creation of this interton field. So let's not um, forget the Earth is a spinning gravity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, you're right. It is um, all these factors play a part. You know, unfortunately, as you can probably see, and, and your listeners will realize, we we have so many variables that we're looking at, and so it's many hard to dip- narrow down which are the ones that are making the effect. Exactly. Or the combination thereof. Yeah, and, and we're working on two different theories. And but again, you know, that's that's what's exciting about you know I think about science and the association is that. Um, as far as I know, this is the first time ever in our history that we're actually using mainline scientific researchers and equipment and to um, study these. Now, I, I granted most of the people in our association are alternative researchers and are interested in this, but to me, they have the open mind. The traditional researchers don't. They'll just write it off as, uh, you know, nothing. But uh, well, When you're exploring outside of your basic parameters, and let's all agree that our parameters of what makes the world work are a bit narrow here, um, then it really calls for throwing open the doors and letting everyone say, gosh, look at this, look at this, look at this, and look at it all in an interdisciplinary fashion. That's how we're going to cobble together some new exciting theories and answers. Yeah, and it's... Um you know, again, it's, 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 it's challenging working with um, um, people from all over the world, you know, different disciplines. Uh-huh. And, um, um, yeah, you know, you know, Laura Lee, I got into science because I felt it was a field that we can question about ourselves, where we were going. That's supposed to be the scientific process, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it turns out that mainline science wasn't like that, you know, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to get this association going. Um, tell us about Stephen Mailer's work looking at the word origin of pyramid and uh, Egypt itself. Um, he translates pyramid something to do with house of nature, house of energy that generates, transforms, and transmits energy. Right. Well, you know, Stephen... Is that um, a clue as to what pyramids can do as the ancients understood them? Sure. You know, Stephen um, is new, wrote, just came out with a new book through the land of Osiris, and Stephen and Chris Christopher Dunn, our research directors, and Chris proposed the idea of the, of the um, pyramid being a power plant. Now, this would be different than the things we were just talking about, but, but Stephen, uh, looking at the idea of pyramid meaning fire within, that there was something special about the pyramid producing energy, the idea of fire or energy. So um, it wasn't just the idea that people used to think the, the word came from pyramid being, it looked like a ray, you know, like the sun's rays coming down to the earth. But, but Stephen thinks it has more to do than that, that there is evidence through the name and, and also the indigenous teachings that the ancient Egyptian civilization is, is a lot older, 10, 20,000 years older than we even think. And it, this would, would go along with the work of John Anthony West and, and, and Robert Schock, too. But um, it opens up a whole new um, time frame for ancient Egypt and a whole new idea of ancient technology. And again, you know, you, I don't think it can be dismissed when you... When you look at the, the erosion studies of, of the Sphinx, and you look at um, uh, the precision at which the Great Pyramid was built, you know, it was aligned to almost true north. The, the blocks are put together with laser precision. Um, the uh, orientation, uh, everything, one after another, um, to, to be able to move two to 70-ton blocks and build the structure. You know, today, the traditional Egyptologists can't really explain how the pyramid was built using the known tools that they claimed ancient Egypt had. You know, they come up with different variations of it, but nothing even comes close. So there had to be something, something strange. And I think the idea of the, 
the name Pyramid and Fire Within is hinting that there was a special type of, of power or force or, or whatever. Again, um, this is like an, actually like a third wave even looking at the pyramid. Was it actually producing some kind of energy that, that Chris Dunn and his Giza Power Plant theory suspects? And, you know, my opinion is sometimes it could be all of the above. <laughs> and uh, Buckminster Fuller um, also looked at the triangle as being one of the most important shapes in nature. So, um, so do you have some uh, research that's posted on your site about what um, might have been at work in building the pyramids themselves? What other kind of exciting researchers have you posted there? Uh, you mean about building the pyramids? Right. Some we we can't recreate them today. We don't really know how they did it. No, I. You know, unfortunately, it's a good question. We we really don't. Most of our most of the work that we have is basically. Um, um, why you can't build them, but I actually, I did publish an article on, on levitation used in building the Great Pyramid, but I, I, I wrote this article, and I'm an amateur in this area, but basically I talked about the idea of sound. You know, we, we've shown now that, that sound can levitate small objects. That, that, that's been repeated in the lab. And uh, also, I'm, you know, I'm very interested in, in um, different philosophies around the world and how, uh, you know, uh, ancient cultures, myths or legends say that large objects were moved using sound, and I, and I believe that. And so I think one possibility of looking at how the pyramid may have been built uh, without speculating anything, you know, real paranormal, is the idea of, of sound, that they could generate certain sounds that would, would affect the, the, uh, the weight of the objects. Also, um, you know, Chris Dunn is uh, or the, the, probably the world's greatest expert on, on the Coral Castle, which... I know you're aware of the idea that... Uh, oh, we talked with him about that. How did yeah. that gentleman... Yeah, Mr. I mean, there's another possibility. Um, uh, lift Chris those thinks, blocks. Um, some special electromagnetic or device was um, developed in order to um, change the magnetism, you know, maybe make the magnetism opposite to the magnetism of the Earth so the blocks could float. So, you know, again, this is another different theory. You know, and like I said, you know, it may not be either or, Laura Lee. It could be part of this, part of that, or all of the above. And, and, and that's what's so, I think, I've never been so excited in a research project in my life than I have been with this, the Giza Pyramid research, because, um, you know, we're, as I mentioned, we're working with people from all over the world, and multidisciplinary uh, topics, and many, many uh, cutting-edge types of, of technology, like the stuff that Joe Parr is doing. And, um, and I think the key is, you know, we all keep an open mind, and... You know, the other thing, too, if any of your listeners are interested in, 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 in getting involved or uh, want to contact me, I, you know, I answer all my email. I get tons of email, but I answer it all personally. Um, just contact me, and uh, if you have an expertise and you'd like to get involved, uh, let me know. And, again, that's one of my purposes of going on the radio is not only to promote the work that we have, but encourage new researchers to, to um, get involved. If you have because research... there's so much yet to be done here in this field, isn't there? Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, um, it, it, it's nice you're so open about it, because a lot of times people want the answer now, and they got... But, you know, you realize that, and you obviously you've, you're so well-read in this whole area, um, you realize that there's just so many factors, and it's going to take time to sort it out. That's why I can't wait to have our first symposium. I just can't wait to put these scientists together across the table and just to... Uh, brainstorming discussions and just see what comes out. So, um, yeah, it's, um, 
this could have, people could say, why are you spending your time with this? Is it just a hobby? No, this could have the most significant effects to mankind. If what the Russians and Ukrainian scientists say are true, we're talking about phenomenal uh, benefits for medicine and agriculture, ecology, uh, you name it. Um, and if what Joe Parr is talking about, this could be a new energy source, new modes of, of cellular transportation, uh, new ways of, of, of looking at our beginning. So um, I, I think to me this could be one of the most important um, research and the potential is just phenomenal for mankind. You know, there's a researcher that we've talked to who looked at the egg shape as also some shape that was very, very special. And why does nature produce so many egg shapes um, out there? That it had some special properties as well. We've heard, I've read research where a yogurt company wanted to put yogurt into square containers because then the packaging would be more efficient when they put a bunch of containers in a case. And they found that the yogurt died, the active bacteria in the yogurt died in a square but uh, not in a, a circular container. So who knows what the implications would be for architecture and uh, just the way that we do just about everything if we found that there were more conducive shapes. Sure. You to... mentioned that, too, about a, a house, you know, in the shape of a pyramid. And, um, um, again, the whole potential for, for mental benefits of, benefits of mankind and the spiritual benefits, too. I mean... Um, so, yeah, it's, I have it's, a girlfriend who built a greenhouse in a pyramid shape, and uh, she said her plants sprouted there better. But it was a lot of work to maintain, and I think she let it go. But um, that was an interesting use. Yes. So where do you see the future um, in terms of pyramid research and bringing out some of the benefits? Uh, well, I, I think I, I see one, number one is the Russian research has to be repeated. And it has to undergo peer review, like any scientific theory. Um, and I think that's where it's important for people in the West and institutions in the West to get involved. And at this point, you know, we're, we're in the process of trying to contact people, get them interested in it. So that has to be repeated. And, you know, it, you know, it could turn out that if they don't get the same results, then, well, you know, we don't know. But I, I doubt it. When you have four or five major institutions and and, and Russia and Ukraine getting the same results. I think. Well, that's going to cost a lot of money to build these huge pyramid structures. Hundred and how many feet tall in in Russia that they built several of these pyramids, dozens of these. Yeah, but you have in the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas a pyramid that's already built. Have has anybody looked into contacting that uh, association business and saying, "Gosh, could we have a?" room and conducts a little experiment or two here? Well, you know, that's a good question because I'm hearing from people all over the world of all these places like like that. There's places in Edmonton, Canada, that have pyramid complexes for the city hall and greenhouses. There's complexes supposedly in, in, uh, in I think somewhere in, they said in Germany or France, but there's a lot of these. But I think to have a better control, I would like to get the results repeated in, in the same kind of pyramids that the Russians built, but it doesn't have to be. Well, I would think the Luxor Hotel is interested in bringing uh, new business in, right? Just like every <laughs> yeah. business. So if you had a little display set up with pyramid research, that hey, could a be idea. a really Maybe interesting... Maybe we get them to fund our research. <laughs> you know, I think you can shoot for the moon, but why don't you start with what's practical and doable yeah. on limited hey, that's budgets? A, that's a great suggestion. I like that. Well, and then the, the second aspect, I think what we're going to focus on, you mentioned for the future, is 
Joe Parr's experiments, I mean, that can be repeated almost anywhere at any time, if, you know, with minimum amount of money. And, but, but you need some pretty good electri- electrical engineers and physicists to, to do that. And I think that has potential because that's easily repeatable. Is this gamma ray transducer um, a small piece of equipment or is it a room full of equipment? Is it portable? Can you bring it out to, on location to various places? probably built it, built it in, a, in a, a large garage. Ah, uh, okay. You know, and um, I'm guessing, oh, I bet under $5,000. I mean, even maybe probably, Joe's done it for even less, but, um, you know, again, something <laughs> of dropping a bucket of research grants. I would think that there's been enough exciting preliminary research done that some major institution with all of the high-tech equipment to do the most sophisticated testing available thus far um, would be intrigued or uh, to conduct further of these tests. I mean, think of the implications for agriculture and business and medicine, as you pointed out. They're always looking for the next new innovation to market. So this is a a ready avenue. Why do you suppose some of the research that was done in the 60s and 70s has been discounted? I've read articles that saying there's no such thing as pyramid power. Of course, you have so many variables. So if you're not using the right variables, um, you can set it up so the test fails. Or if you really want the test to fail, there's ways of setting up any test to make it say what you want it to say. So science is very manipulable in, in those respects. No, that's true. That's a, that's a really good question. Why I think this, the 70s, 60s and 70s work wasn't taken seriously was, um, you know, one is it, it did come out of the Soviet Union and Czechoslovakia, and I think it came out in a sense with a lot of the paranormal work that was, was doubted. Number two... Uh, it got labeled, you know, with, with, with meditation and pyramid hats and sharpening razor blades. And uh, my opinion... Just went I, too I, fast I to the fringe. I, I think it just got labeled with, um, with, with psychic phenomena. And at that time, I, you know, any scientist that even would consider looking into that would be an outcast. So, But uh, look at Princeton University. They're doing some phenomenal research with psychic phenomena and, and Stanford sure. Research Institute. I mean... Yeah, but then, you know, back in the 60s, I don't know, you know, how many institutions were even allowed anybody even to bring it up at a seminar, you know. My government is doing remote viewing. Uh, just because something's on the fringe doesn't mean that the serious scientists never look at it. But And, and we don't know what kind of government research behind the scenes was being done at that time either, because as, far, as you know, anything the Soviet Union was doing, our government wanted to know what was going on. So that it kept abreast and kept pace with it, yeah. So some new weapon wasn't suddenly unveiled from exactly. the other side. Yeah. You know, people, it's funny because when sometimes um, people ask me, well, you know, isn't the government interested in, in what you guys are doing and this and that? And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm sure they're they're watching us and seeing what we're doing, but they probably look at us as a bunch of kooks anyway, you know, but they want to keep an eye on Maybe us. Maybe they're way ahead, yeah. You know, but, but again, the thing is, though, as I mentioned, when I start telling people about this, if, when I mention the people's credentials, I tell them if I have the, the hard data to show them and explain who's involved, they may not buy what I'm saying or the conclusions, but they can't dismiss it. And that's the, by the way, that's happened with Joe Parr's research. He's published it in some uh, journals, scientific journals, and they'll, their conclusions may be, well, we, we may not agree that the pyramid enters hyperspace, but he's coming up with, uh, with data and numbers that we just can't explain. <laughs> so and there could be many explanations for the same data. Yeah, you know, that's true. You know, Lorley, that's a really good point. You you know, you're you're a good scientist, too. There may be many, many different ways of explaining it, and 
it may not have the wonderful effects and results that we hope it does. But again, I think like anything, you uh, that's why we exist is to, to look at these theories and, and I keep saying peer review and repeatability is the key to this stuff because uh, anybody can make any kind of claims, but if they're repeated in the, in the scientific... Uh, I think it's important, though, to, to spin out various different theories because eventually we'll hit on the right one that holds up right. and holds to further testing. So it is important for Joe Parr and everyone else to say, here's what I think is going on and put it on the table. Not I to agree. say that it's true, just to say, here's an interesting... Uh, hypothesis. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, John. Oh, thank and you. And the terrific website where you can see um, the reports and some great photos of some of the exciting research that's being done on pyramids. Thanks. That was John DeSalvo. Pyramid, uh, sorry, his website is gizapyramid.com. And our website is lauralee.com. And I want to thank you for listening. Laura Lee Online www.lauralee.com Lee